to tell you, there's really something behind this besides a skinny little guy in front of you now. So, you know, I look better in the four layers. But <laughs> the, the reality is, as Christians, we will praise God, we'll accept God, we'll worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come to church on Sunday. But we don't really allow God to go much deeper than that. Not to the next layer. And some of us, when we get there, we might take that journey to the next layer. We might change some of our habits, maybe our mouth, and we won't curse anymore. Or maybe some of our relationships will change because we know Jesus Christ. But you know, there's an awful lot of us who have accepted Jesus Christ that we just won't let Jesus in all the way. We're not going to allow him to get deeper and deeper and deeper, layer after layer after layer, and allow him to have his will. And it's not about, no, I'm, going to, I'm not going to let you have that one, God. And it's especially true with our finances. Amen. That's almost the last one to fall is our finances. And though, you know, the economy is good right now, you know, at least they say so, but the reality is for a lot of us it's personally challenging. The stock market, market may be really high, but for us, a lot of us, we're still working check to check. I mean, we work hard, we get our checks, but there never just seems to be quite enough. And just as you seem to get ahead, another bill comes along. Something happens out of the blue. You had no idea it was going to, the car breaks down. Kid gets sick. There's, there's something wrong with the health. I don't know, something or another. The, the uh, overtime ends. Something happens. Wipes out our savings. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting ahead. I mean, you have goals. I mean, most of us have goals. Not, I mean, not just personal goals. But we have financial goals. But really, after a period of time, and you don't see it coming to any kind of fruition, you don't see it happening, you wonder, is it really ever going to happen? You're stressed. You're worried. And of course we are. The financial pressure even starts to leak into other issues of our life. And if you're married, you know what I mean. And it comes up at the craziest times. And you start to hear things and you interpret them as though the other person meant some sort of dig or sarcasm about the fact that we're in financial difficulties. When that wasn't even meant. It starts to pervade all your thinking. You become wounded. You become less confident much more easily hurt. And then, and then you hear Jesus say this. Just listen to Jesus just this moment in the book of Matthew. Listen to Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What will you wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you worrying at a single hour to your life? But how can that be true? I mean, in the reality of your life, if you heard that played once a day, how, how does that match up with what you're going through? I mean, we're not going to doubt God about it, but is it because of our lack of faith? No, no, I don't think it's that. We have faith. Besides, it says all you need is something as small as a mustard seed, but is it God isn't coming through? I mean, can we actually really say that, that God isn't coming through? 
I don't think so. No. No, he comes through. But maybe it's because we're not giving like we're supposed to give, so therefore we're not getting the blessing. There was, well, that might be true, but I don't really think that that's the reason. I don't think that that's the reason. So what's missing? What's wrong with our picture? Why aren't we flowing in, in blessing and prosperity and, and what God, and I'm not talking about just, you know, uh, like that prosperity preaching. I'm just talking about why are we getting by decently? Why are we always under the gun, it seems to be? Well, I call it the X factor. And I, I just, I want you to listen to James this time, that, that book of wisdom. You know, kind of, it's kind of like the New Testament Proverbs. So take a look. Listen to James chapter 1. Go ahead. Just listen to James. Hear what he says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but what they're doing, they will be blessed in what they do. I wonder if that's the disconnect. I wonder if somehow or another we're hearing it, but we're not applying it to our finances. I mean, we'll apply it to our mouth. We'll apply it to what we hear, or maybe the radio station that we, we changed, and some of our, the way we dress or something like that. But we're not going layer by layer, deeper by deeper, and allowing the word to really get into our, the depth of our soul and our being. And it's not even being in, in the depth of our finances. How many of you have turned over all your finances, the way you do it, the way you think about it, to the word of God? Now let's slide over a little bit with James in chapter 2, and let's hear him one more time. At least let, let's hear his sister say it. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Let's pause for a moment and receive that. Because if we're hearing it, and we've heard this before, and we're not doing it, there's no blessing, there's no connection. If we're hearing it, but we're not applying it to all aspects of our life, even our finances, and I'm going way beyond tithe here, way beyond tithe. If we're not hearing it and making that connection, if we're not putting the, the principles of the word of God behind our finances, no wonder there's a disconnect. No wonder the blessing that the word talks about we're not receiving. No wonder things seem so out of control, and yet we believe with all our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Could that be the X factor? Now, tithing and giving, that's, that's the first step. Okay, we got that. And I'm not going to drill down to that. You're going to get plenty of that next week. And the reason why, and I think God's going to move mightily in your heart because of it. But I'm not, I'm not going to drill down into that because I think a lot of you have heard that before or know some of it, but you're going to get even deeper and more depth next week. But putting in all 100% of your finances in God's order, that's necessary to prosper. That is necessary to prosper. It's necessary if you're not going to worry and just be totally stressed out. Now, you're saying, I give my offering. I give my tithe. Aren't I then supposed to receive the blessing? No, 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 no. It doesn't work unless it's 100% his. God isn't looking for his 10% like he's some pauper on the street who hasn't got a nickel and a dime to rub together. It's not like his church is in poverty. 
It's not true. He's doing this for you. Tithing is for you. In order for the blessing of the tithe to work, 100% of your finances has to be under the order of God. Or it's not going to work. It just simply doesn't work. You can't give God 10% and expect to do whatever you please with 90% and then have it all work to come together. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, think about that for a, little mo for a moment. It just it, it doesn't make And yet we live that way. Do you, do you really, that's why unbelievers can prosper more than believers. Because, and, and you see it all the time, don't you? I mean, there's a whole lot more people that you know who don't believe and got a lot more money than you. I mean, let me, let me put it plain out there, right? Or at least prosper more and everything they seem to do turns to gold and et cetera, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. Could it be that they're actually using the principles that are in the word of God, though they don't know whether they're from the word of God and you're not? I think so. Because the principles of the word of God don't change. They're faultless. They always work. And whether you employ them or not, <laughs> you know, that's up to you. God just said, oh, you, you, you don't have to employ all my principles. You don't have to employ all the, the word of God because you're a Christian. And I'm going to curse these other people because they're not Christians, though they're, they're using my word of God. God established the word and his grace falls upon all people. And if you use the word of God and live in the word of God, it brings its own blessings. You realize that you're rich, but you don't even know it. And that's part of the problem. You... you you act like you're in poverty, and you're not in poverty. You manage your funds like you ain't got no funds, like you're a mom and pop on this, you know, you know and you probably learned your model from your mother and father who had a poverty mindset as well. And what do I mean by poverty mindset? It means that you never think you have enough. So you spend your money now, you get that stuff now because you think that tomorrow I probably won't have any money and it's always going to be a shortage. I'm never going to, God's never going to provide. I'm always going to have a need that's going to be out there. That's not true. It doesn't have to be true. Let me, let, let me show you how mucho rico you are. Yeah, I didn't even know what that meant. Let, let, let me show you. I've shown this before. If, I mean, on average... For 45 years, that means some of the years you made more, some of the years you made less, okay? Let's say, on average, you made 50K, okay? $50,000. And you made that for 45 years, right? Now, I'm talking about a whole household, okay? A, a husband and wife, you made 50. Or an individual makes $50,000. You know how much you made during the course of your 45 years when you're ready to retire? $2,250,000. If I gave you $2,250,000 right now, would you consider yourself rich? I don't think there's anybody in here who would say, oh, no, gee, I'm in poverty. I'm so poor, I can't even give you a nickel dime. I, I, I can't even, you got to buy me a cup of coffee. I can't, I can't afford a cup of coffee. You're rich, and you made $2,250,000. If you made $75,000 on average, you've uh, 3 million, I forgot the number, 3 million, a lot of money, 3 million, 375. Three million. God has invested in you three million bucks. Do you know how many people in the world have three million dollars in the course of their lifetime? Huh? Like only five percent of all the billions of people who exist. And you, you're getting this. If you got a hundred thousand dollars, I gotta move the case. You made four million and a lot more money. I keep forgetting the numbers. Four and a half million dollars. 
4.5. I'll tell you what, making 4 million, 4 million so you gave me $4.5 million, I'd be retired. I, <laughs> that's a lot of money. And yet we still have a poverty mindset. Why is that? How can that possibly be? You know what's really scary about this whole thing? How much wealth God has given us? You know what's really scary? He's going to hold us accountable. That's not me. I'm just, I'm just kind of reading this thing called the Word of God. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, you're going to hear it in just a second. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. To him, much is given, much is expected. In my book, that's a much. That's a much. So to him, much has been given, much is expected. And what God is saying is, what have you done with the wealth that I have given you? There will be a day of accountability. You're going to say, well, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I mean, if I asked you in the last year, and, and most of you have made $25,000 in the course of the last year. You probably made $50,000. I don't know, something like that in between. Or maybe you've made more and that kind of stuff. And if I asked you, where did that money go? I'm going to hold you accountable to it. Most of you, would be, you might be able to tell me where two or $3,000 went. And if you had a mortgage, maybe you'd be able to say where that went. But nothing else. We just don't know where it's going. And this is the first thing that you need to know. But, because, you see, in a lot of Jesus' parables, if you read through them in the Gospels, do you know what the message is? We're going to be held accountable for the blessings that we have received. There's going to be that day. And it's either going to be well done, good and faithful servant, or whew, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, I mean, I, that's what I read. Okay, first thing. It's in your notes, by the way. There is a note card in your... Uh, uh, Whatever it is, it looks something like that. Note card. On the back of it is a whole bunch of resources that you can use, by the way. If you have any financial questions, it tells you all different kind of financial situations you might run into. I thought that might be helpful. You can go to the Internet. You can use this, and uh, it might speak to one of your uh, uh, issues that you might have. At least it's a resource there. So the first thing that you need to know is simply this. You need to know where your money goes because most of us don't know where our money goes. We've received the blessing, but we never even knew that we received this kind of a blessing because we don't know where our money goes. You need to know where your money goes. And the best habit you can develop that's going to bring that kind of a blessing is to use a system, some sort of system. I won't use the word budget, but system to know where your money is going. And if you don't know that kind of thing, Believe me, we can teach you that kind of thing. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I, you're going to see a guy with a hat out there. Just so you won't miss him. And if you want to sign up for a financial seminar, some financial counseling and stuff like that, I'm going to be outside and all you got to do is sign up your name and your telephone number and we'll be telling you where you can get that information. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be bringing in a number of financial professionals to help you as well. So uh, at any rate, all of that is uh, quite available if you want to make that happen for you. Okay? So we teach this kind of system. It's a godly system, a biblical system. Then there are five things that you can do with your money. I mean, it's in your outline right there. There are five things that you can do with your money. I mean, this, this stuff is really easy stuff. What's, what's the first thing that we can do with our money and what most of us do? You spend it. You know you spend it. 
Unless you're my wife. She never spends any money. But at any rate, it doesn't matter. I do it for her. So the first thing that you can do is what? Spend your money, right? I mean, isn't that what most of us do? Another thing that we do, because we're forced to do it, is we've got to pay down debt, right? I mean, you know, the credit card bill comes all the time, the mortgage bill, the rent comes, all kinds of other stuff that we have. And next thing is pay taxes, because Uncle Sam, IRS is there, the government's not always shut down. <laughs> pay taxes. Pay taxes, isn't that the next thing? And then, then, then what do we do? A, a lot of us say, well, geez, you know, I've spent, I've, I've paid my debt, I've paid my bills, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I've paid my taxes, Uncle Sam, IRS isn't on my back, so maybe I can save. I can save some money because then I can spend it later on. But I can save some money, and this is going to feel good, and it's going to be great. I don't know how much money I'm going to save. And the fifth thing is we give. We give to God. We give to God the people. We give. This, this is what we normally do. This is, this is the way we live. That's our usual order, and that's the way that people, for the most part, deal with their money. Now, is that a godly way to deal with your money? You've got to ask that because, remember, if you're not dealing with 100% of your money the way God wants you to deal with your money, because it's his money to begin with. It's not yours. He gave it to you. He provided the ability for you to do it, to work for it, to make it happen, all that kind of stuff. The job, you live in this country. You don't have to live in this country. You could have lived anywhere else in the world, which is much, much more difficult to make this kind of a living. But God provided it all for you. So he's saying, I want you to manage it like you are managing it under my principles. I wonder if that is God's a reflection of the word of God. Let me put this another way, okay? Spend. What is that really all about? It's about me. Isn't it? And what does it pay my debt? Well, that's all about me too because I had to have that thing. I didn't have the money, so I went and borrowed the money or played it on a credit card. That's all about me too. Now, pay the taxes. Is that about me? No. That's a rotten government. No, no. That's that government. Now, save. What's that all about? Me. Me, me, me. And then give. Well, we'll call this God and others, okay? Because you guys are so generous. That's really what that's all about. You know what that is? That's a fantastic picture of sin. Because isn't sin all about self-centeredness and selfishness? So if we're using our finances in a very sinful way, do we expect God's blessing on that? How can a holy God bless something that you are, that you are managing in a very sinful way? And yet... We're the first ones when we get a little short on money to say, oh, God, provide me my rent. Oh, God, make up this debt. Oh, give me some more money. Give me a different job. I need a raise. I need this. We're, we're the first ones to go to God, and yet at the same time, he's going to say, are you going to change this, or are you still going to use your sinful methods for the blessings that I have given you? Now, so, now if, if, if you had a car, and somebody used that car to hurt other people, to rob banks and that kind of stuff, I mean, would you be happy with the way that they rob your car, they use your car? Would you give him another car? But don't we ask for more? What happens here? In this, well, what happens in this whole thing? You know what happens? God gets the leftovers. 
You come over to my house, I give you steak. And I hold back and I make sure that everybody who comes over to my house eats and gets their fill before I eat anything. Or I might just take a little bit to make sure that you can have seconds and thirds. I don't give you leftovers. Why do we give God leftovers? Just something to think about. I don't know. This is what's really happening. We have a habit. We have an addiction. We have an appetite. For more and more and more and more. You know what's happening here? These guys, credit card company, they have a system. They have a system. You know what's happening right there? Government has a system. Works really well, too. A system, a system, a system. And you know, you know what happens here? Lots of times our company has a system to help us save, or the bank has a system. So maybe it's the company, or it's the bank, you know, Christmas club, whatever the case might be. They have a system, too. System. You know what you and I ain't got? A system. Why is the bank making money, the company making money, the government making money, the credit card company making money, and the stores are making money, and the stocks are going higher and higher, but you're getting poorer? Come on, this is in rocket science, folks. You ain't got no system. They have a system. When are you going to get a system? Now, you can keep on running this game, and you think you're going to get somewhere. It's like playing the house when you're gambling. The house always wins. You can make believe like you're winning once or twice when you save a little bit, but the reality is the system always wins. And until you get a system that's on your side and not on their side, you are a loser. Losing your money, I mean. Not as an individual, of course. I would never say anything like that about you personally. Right. So anyway, this is something else that's very important that you might want to put down. You need a system. It's there in your notes. You know, I, I want you to just kind of write it down, reinforce it, you know, because I say you have to hear something five times before you really get it. So I've told you already four times, and that's the writing down is the fifth time. So, you know, you need a what? I think you got it this time. How you prioritize your finances really matters. It really does. You guys are great folks. You just haven't been informed that you need a system like they need a system, like they have a system. And you want to know what? <laughs> just like we can show you, you know, you know, how to get things in God's order, your finances in God's order, we can show you a system that works. If you want it, it's up to you. The reason that this is so important is it's not just because of the blessings of God. And, and, lots of, and that's all about me, me again. Oh, God, I want to open up. I want more blessing. I want bless. I'm not concerned about God blessing you. He loves you so much. He's always going to bless you. But you know why God kind of insists on all of this and the tithing and putting things in his order? Is because he knows that if your finances, if he's not number one in your finances, he will not be number one in your life. He might be 9 out of 10, but he wants to be number, he wants all, because he deserves it all. He gave it all. We just celebrate communion. 
And he knows if you decide to use your financial system in a sinful way and giving it over to the sinful, to the evil one, then he hasn't got all of you. You're holding back on him. You're holding back. He wants all of your heart. And isn't that what this series says in Matthew chapter 6, you know, verse 24, you know? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That comes so... You're going too far. No. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> you, know, you, know what, you know what the problem is? You know, when I start to tell them people that, oh, you got a budget, you got to develop a system, you got to learn how to invest, you got to save, you can't spend all of your income, you got to tear up those credit cards. You gotta, when we start talking about all those kind of things, you know what they do? They push back on it. You know, want to know why? Because they don't want God being the master of their money. It's until you release your money to the Lord Jesus Christ and manage it his way, in essence, what you're saying, I am going to stay in rebellion to the one of the most important things that are in my life. It's not a matter of just about faith and trust. No, 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 God, I'm going to sinfully use what you have given me. That's kind of heavy, I think. You see, none of this works unless God, Jesus Christ, becomes the master of all. Is that what Pastor Carlos was saying here during the, during the uh, communion? And we all went, amen, hey, holla, rah, rah, rah. Yeah, now talk, let's talk about your money. See, the real competition is between God and your money. That's the real competition. And that's why God says it's got to be all his way. Because if, if you're not willing to give it up, then, you know, you determine the winner. And what you just simply said that is, God, you lose. In my life, you lose, at least in this area of my life. So what's it going to be? That's, that's, that's what we ask, ask. Here's a simple formula to right financial living. Okay? This is no longer five. This becomes number one. Okay? Guess what becomes number two? Number two. Okay? Number one, number two. Guess what becomes number five? Number one. So let me, let, let me just flip this over for you. And let me, let me give you what's number one. Number one is giving. Giving to God and giving to others. Number two is pay down your debt because you owe that. And God says, do not be a lender or a debtor. That's just simply the way God is. Okay, so you got to give. you got to do debt service. And then you're going to save and next to saving is invest for your future. And number four is, because uh, this is also taxes, by the way, but at any rate, we, we kind of won't get into that. Number four, uh, why am I getting this mixed up? Here we go. Oh, uh, spend. Leftover. You spend what's left over. Not First. Before you gave to God what was left over, now you spend what you left over, and that's all you get to spend is just what's left over. That's in your outline, by the way, if you want to put that down. See, it's, it's about really living in God's favor, knowing that his grace, his order, his favor, and making all your money and all your finances flow in the way God wants them to flow so he can bless it. It's not about getting rich. 
Though there's nothing wrong with getting rich, by the way, especially if your money is in God's order. Because you're not doing anything evil, anything bad, and God is blessing, and you're using it right, and you're being a good steward over it, and uh, all of that kind of thing. It's the key to peace. So you can go to bed at night and have to not be worried about your money. It's a key to freedom about having enough money to do the things that you always wanted to do. It's a wonderful place to be. It's a key to success. It's a key to well-being. Because what's going on in your mind and in your heart and all the worry and all the stress really does affect the rest of your body. We know that. So I'm going to skip number one here, which is give. Because, again, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do a little bit uh, about that next week, and I I know that you need to be here, believe me. You not only should be here, you need to be here, because I need to be here as well. So, but we're going to talk about the great destroyer, and the great destroyer is called debt. D-E-B-T. Debt. And this is important. You need to not only write it down, but you need to really catch this. You see, the force that kills behind debt can also be a force that brings you great blessing. Depends how you play it. God's way or your way. God's way or your way. The difference in the outcome is not up to God. It's up to you. And you've been playing it the wrong way. And debt is killing you. It really is killing you. What's the most important, what, what, not, not important, what's the most powerful, up in a balcony, I need to hear your answer here. What is the most powerful force in the universe? Are there any people up there? I hear crickets. I was just wondering, are there people up there? What is the most powerful force in the universe? Come on, this is not a trick question. God, okay. Love, all right. God, love, I'll go with any of those. That's very, very good. You know who's the most powerful force in finances? Down here. You know, you got it? You're off the hook, by the way. I found it. There's five people up there. Anybody, anybody down here? Faith, faith, faith. No. You're getting so spiritual on me. You have finances. You can hope and hope and hope and hope your money's going to make it and it's not going to do anything because you're running a sinful life uh, financially. You know what it is? It's interest. Interest is going to make you or break you. I'm in that part of life right now where interest is making me. It used to break me. We have investments. You know, and my wife sees these monthly investments. The reports come in. And the stock market has been doing really horrible in 2018. And she's been looking at me like, hey, Gary, you led me into this. And this is, you know, she, you know, she's working. She's putting her money in. And we're losing more than she's putting in. And she's not a happy little camper. But this past month in January, ooh, she's a happy girl. <laughs> Interest works. Interest works. Praise God. At any rate. You know, it's my, I'd rather have my money work for me than me work for my money. And are you like that? So, you know, we can teach you all of that kind of stuff. It's really easy to do. See, I know this guy. He was really convicted about the money that he owed, and he owed just $7,500. How many of you owe more than $7,500 in credit card and in uh, car payments? Anybody? Five gazillion million of you, right? Yeah, I can't even see you up there, but I can feel you. I can feel you. So this guy owed $7,500. So maybe this will relate to you in some way. You know, the average American owes $8,000. In credit card debt? (laughs) That's average. That means half of them owe more. But at any rate, $7,500 this guy owes, right? And he says, I'm not doing any more. I found a way, Gary. I am going to pay the minimum amount. He says, I'm going to pay the minimum amount, and I'm going to pay this thing off. I mean, what can you say? But hey, good. You weren't even paying it off before. This is fantastic. What are you going to do? You know how long it took him to pay that off? 30 years, two months. 
Do you know how much he paid for that $7,500 worth of stuff? $23,000. So that was, when you, when, you, when you buy something on a credit card and you don't pay it off at the end of the month, you're paying three times more than what that thing costs. You buy a pair of pants, what do they cost you? Uh, I mean, these jeans, these are cheap jeans. They, uh, uh, I think they cost like 50 bucks or so, 60 bucks, I don't know, something like that. At uh, any rate, if I could find them cheaper, I'd get them. At, at, at any rate, uh, about 50, 60 bucks. I mean, can, I, I, would I pay $180 for these pieces? I mean, no way. But yet you do. You do it on all kinds of things. We all do it because it's invisible. Why? Because a credit card company has a system and they beat you on the system because your interest rate, you know what kind of interest you're paying on that stuff? You ever figured that out? Does anybody know the interest that they're paying on their credit card? That's the problem. You don't know. You don't know they are charging you 9%, 12%, 18%. You don't even know. They are ripping you off. They got a system. Now imagine if you got 24% interest on something, how much money you'd be making. Can you see the flip side of that? And yet, all you're digging into, all that you're dealing with, is you're being charged 9, 10, 15% instead of making 9, 10, 15%. Interest is working against you rather than for you. The most powerful force in finance is working against you. No wonder you can't win. Got to get rid of debt. Listen to Proverbs 22, 7. This is what God says. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave the lender. Interest doesn't sleep. Interest and debt rob you of your freedom because you can't sleep. You can't do any of the things that you wanted to do because you, you owe. You have to do, just like the scripture just said, you have to do what the lender says. You're a slave. A sinful lifestyle with your money brings slavery. Sin always brings slavery. Surrender to Jesus Christ always brings freedom, even in your finances. Debt obligates you to earning pressures, all kinds of earning pressures. Doesn't it mess with your marriage? Doesn't it mess with your job because you always want that? Why didn't I get that raise? Why did they get their raise? Why aren't I getting a promotion? I need to get out of here. I'm not satisfied with my job. I need more money. Why? Because I've, I've, I've got so much debt. I've got to pay off this debt. And the only way I can see it is to get a raise, to get a different job, to move on or something. It takes away giving opportunities. It denies God an opportunity to meet your needs and to show himself faithful. That's what debt does. You see, in some ways, debt is the absolute opposite of faith. You're saying, to, what you're saying to God, you're saying, God, God, what we say is, you, you can't meet my needs. So I have to go to someone else to, make, to go borrow the money to meet my needs. That's what you're really saying to God when you go into debt. You're going to the lender saying, you're, you're my God. You, you supply my need and God doesn't. You know what really, really debt is all about? You're stealing from the future. You're taking the blessing that God hasn't even promised you yet, but God is going to give you in the future and you're taking it and you're using it for today so that when you get into the future, you don't have it. You ain't got nothing or a whole lot less. You're the thief. Not them, not the enemy, not Satan. You're the thief of your future when you borrow like that. 
And it, not only that, it breaks the spiritual law, too. I hate to give you all, these bad, all this bad news, but you're in such bad shape. I've got to give you the bad news. <laughs> Hebrews 11.6. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But if you're robbing him, and if you're saying, I got to go to a lender, you're saying, God, you're not really going to supply. You're breaking a spiritual law. How can we do things right when we're breaking a spiritual law? How can we expect for things to go right? Let's pause for a minute, okay? And I want to pause for a minute just so that we can get personal, so I can dig you a little deeper. No. It's like, I don't really make you feel, if I make you feel bad, mm, tough, no, not tough luck. Uh, uh, I want to inspire you because I care. I really care that you get out of the financial quagmire and rut and place that you're in, and I want you to receive the blessings of God because it's blinding you from how great God is. And I want you to see him in his fullness of his glory. So let's get personal. How many credit cards do you have? I mean, does anybody here have more than one? Be honest. Does anybody have more than five? Yeah. Oh, geez, yeah. Does anybody have any more than, uh, you got more than five, you're in trouble? Do you have like seven? Ten? I got to get my gun. (laughs) What is the interest rate on those credit cards that you're, I I always ask you if you knew your, vast majority of you, only about three or four of you knew the interest rate that you're being charged on your credit cards. This is incredible. Do you you always have an annual fee? How many of you have a credit card with an annual fee? You don't even know, do you? Do you know if you have a credit annual fee? None of you have an annual fee on your credit card? You want me to make a bet? (laughs) Oh, boy, could I go out to dinner on this bet. (laughs) Good thing I'm not a gambling guy. If if you're getting charged an annual fee, you're getting ripped off twice. You know, oh, gosh. I always suggest that people cut up most of their credit cards. If you have credit cards like with Kohl's or with Macy's, Lord and Taylor, I don't know, all the rest of them. Cut them up. They're charging you exorbitant rates. And there's a better way that you could deal with this. So how should you pay them off anyway? If you want to pay them off, do you know there's a system for that too? And we can help you with that. Don't just pay them off like I see people pay them off at random. They usually use the wrong principles. And and in a short period of time, they kind of lose hope and it goes nowhere. Let me tell you, we can show you how to systematically pay them off in a way that will encourage you greatly. Debt is the great destroyer. It also works against other spiritual truths. For instance, the world of personal finance works on this principle. And you've got to think about it for a minute. And it's called the principle of the harvest. It's very, very easy. The principle of the harvest. Plant now... Reap, you know, bring in, sow, bring them in. Plant now, reap later and greater. The more you plant now, the longer you wait, the greater the blessing will be. That's the law of the harvest. It works very, very easily. And it makes sense, doesn't it? And the power behind that in finances is interest. 
Okay, let me just give you the example. One, one farmer has all his, has his bag of corn seeds, and uh, he, he's kind of hungry, and he looks at that corn, and he thinks, I'll mash it, and I'll make cornmeal out of it, so he eats his seeds. The other one says, mm, no, I got enough to get by. I'm going to plant my seeds, and he plants his seeds. A month later, they're in the same place. The guy who planted his seeds, he doesn't have any corn, and the guy who made his into cornmeal, of course, he doesn't have any corn either. He already ate it all. Three months later, who has more? The one who planted, the one who waited. We do the same. When we invest, when we allow interest to work for us rather than against us, when we wait instead of spending everything, that, most of the stuff that we've got, and we start doing things like giving and paying down debt and saving, investing in our future, in other words, in one way or another, the harvest is greater and greater and greater. It's something we all need to do. Later and greater. The law of the harvest is about later and greater. Because spending tomorrow, uh, debt is about spending tomorrow's money today. And you aren't going to get any more tomorrow. Though foolishly, we often believe we will. The first priority is giving. We already went over that. We're going to deal with that next week. Second priority is getting out of debt. And you've got to get out of debt now. And what I mean by that is consumer debt, the stuff that you buy and you can't bring it really back to the store or anything, like a car, you know, you buy it, you drive it out of the parking lot, and all of a sudden it's worth one-third less than it was two minutes ago. You know, that's consumer debt. It's, you know, we got to think about how we deal with those kind of debt. You know, when you buy a pair of jeans, you know, you wear them for a little while, you can't bring that back. They're done. They're gone. But there is good debt, too. You can learn about that as well. We can explain all that. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a handout. At least I hope there's going to be a handout. Yes, there is going to be a handout. And it explains about debt, good debt, and bad debt. So if you want that, there's about 25 of them. It gets into some detail. You'd learn a lot more in the seminar and all that kind of stuff or anything, counseling I teach you. But at least you're going to get that uh, as you go out if you want that kind of thing. So let me get to, let's kind of summarize this. One of our problems is we can't say enough. We just can't say, no, no, I, I don't need that. I don't have to have that. You have a lack of contentment. Reality is, it, it just, it's like the grave. It's never satisfied. It's like a fire. It always consumes. See, discontentment is a lot like an appetite. You know, you, you know what I mean? It's never satisfied. I mean, have you ever sat down at a meal and eaten so much that you know, like, you're like this? Kind of like, and you just can't eat anymore? You, you just can't eat anymore. I mean, you're stuffed, you're stuffed, and you talk a little bit, and, you, you know, a little time goes by, a half hour goes by, and somebody brings this wonderful dessert, and of course you've got to have the biggest piece ever. You're not hungry. You're not starving to death. You just got to have it. Have any of you gone to a store and only gone for one item and bought, like, about a dozen Whoa, people are getting thrown. I hear people are being thrown under the bus down here. It's like, this is crazy. I mean, why do you think they put the milk in the back of the store? So you'll buy five other things that you don't need, that you think you need, you got to have because you had an appetite. We're just never satisfied. You know why car dealers always go on, on highways so you can see their cars? Because then you say, man, my car, this is two years old. It's a piece of junk. It doesn't even smell like new anymore. I need that. I need, I, I, I love that color. I love that color. <laughs> we always want bigger, better, newer. 
The only way to break this addiction is to put your life and finances in God's hands completely. It's not going to happen with the, if you had the power, you would have already done it. Give him control of all of it. He doesn't want all of it. He just wants you to do, manage it in his way for its blessing. Set the right biblical goals. Because that's what God wants. And if you, we'll help you with this kind of stuff. Back that up with an action plan, with a system that really works. Your ultimate goal, it says it right in the bottom of you, your ultimate goal with your finances, just like with your whole life, should be to honor God. It's not about meeting your needs. It's about honoring God. Imagine if you had enough money that you knew that you could retire at 55. Imagine if you had no debt right now, how much extra you would have in your paycheck. Imagine if you were totally satisfied financially in such a way that you just felt so good at your job because it was giving you an abundance that you could bless everybody else on the job. And I'm not talking about with money, but you just wouldn't be such a crab. You wouldn't be so ugly on the job. Imagine living like that. Imagine your kids coming to you and you say, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to spend this right and how to save and that kind of thing. But yes, you can have this kind of thing. Imagine if you didn't have to worry about your kids' education because you knew that you were saving in an appropriate way so that when they did want to go to a trade school or college or something like that, you'd have plenty of money to do that. That can happen. Do it God's way instead of the way of sin. It can all happen. Now, I told you there's two things you could do here. One thing is simply this. If you want to sign up for that kind of thing, not forcing you whatsoever, you can be a part of it, and I'll be out there with that crazy hat on, and we can sign you up. You know, there's no obligation. Everything's free, and, you know, we're just going to give you the date when the time comes and, you know, someplace, wherever it'll be, and we'll help you out with that kind of thing. But you know what the other thing that we can do right now? You can ask God for forgiveness for running your finances in a rebellious, sinful way. You might not have even known that. And you can ask God to break that addiction to things instead of to him. Now, if you want to come up here right now and you want that addiction broken, I'll be glad to pray for you. That God, the Holy Spirit, would break the power of that addiction to more, better, newer, gotta have. And he'll replace it with a love for him in his way. If you want that, if you need that, come forward and we'll pray for you. Because so many of us are just simply trapped. We'll wait for you in the balcony if you want to come down. Because, you know, my prayers only go this high. So you got to come down. I'm short. If I was taller, they would go further. Is there anyone else who wants that addiction broken? Who wants victory in their finances? Who wants to receive God's blessing and realize them and live them? We'll give you a moment. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, there's been a lot of heavy things said. Lord, we've learned models, old models, models from our parents. We've heard this, heard that. We've tried to put together ourselves, and it doesn't work. Now, my brothers and sisters are before you, my Lord. How about a beautiful moment? And they're saying, it's all yours. 
You don't want what they have because you've already given it to them as a gift. You want them to use it in a way that it will multiply and be blessed beyond their imagination. Lord God, I pray that you would break their addiction right now to better, bigger, and things. And instead, their heart would be addicted to you. That, Lord God, you wouldn't just empty the house of this addiction, but you'd fill it right there. Every, every person here, you'd fill it with your Holy Spirit in a far greater love for you, my Lord God. A trust, a faith, that they can even put their finances in your hands and they don't have to be stressed, worried, or concerned. My Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Break this addiction in the name of Jesus. Don't allow the enemy in their heart again. That my Lord God, that their eyes will be for you and looking for your blessing. That they will employ your word and your principles to their finances and that they will feel not only clean and good and wonderful, but they will realize the very blessing that comes from that. My God, I pray that they will be long-term lovers of the living God. Anoint them afresh right now, my Lord God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Stay strong in the Lord.